All right, you may be seated. Hello, Fairhill Church. It's good to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, it's a joy to worship our Savior by nothing but the blood. Now, uh, we are continuing in our series, The Foundation of the Church, uh, going through the book of Acts and seeing uh, what the church is really about so that we might become a church that, uh, that reflects the heart of God and uh, we might really be building this kingdom for, for Jesus' glory. Now, uh, today we're looking at what seems to be kind of like the, uh, the, the stain on the foundation of the church, uh, the blight of the church, uh, the stories that uh, don't present the same idealized church that's often depicted in Acts. And we can, we can often read Acts and we see this kind of high and exalted church and we say, oh, that, that's how the church ought to be. Why can't, why can't have, we have a perfect church like that? All right, even Acts didn't have perfect churches in it. Uh, from the very beginning, oh, of course, kids, 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 sorry. We haven't done that in a while. I know all of you are like, I thought we had a kid thing. All right, stand up, kids. You're going, you're going back there. Uh, all right, off they go. Yeah, you're welcome, parents, yes. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Dan. Uh, there's no idealized church. All right, once again. Uh, <laughs> all right, so... Uh, all right, so I, I'm going through this, the, the joys of, of ordination studying, and that means the history of the church. And what do you learn about the history of the church? Uh, the first thing is that it's very discouraging to study the history of the church. Uh, it's, not, it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Uh, it's a lot of heretics, a lot of heresies, a lot of people trying to be a creative and throw out Jesus and the Trinity uh, and grace all at once. And that's been the case for the very beginning. All right, so we don't have this kind of exalted, perfect view of the church. Instead, we recognize, no, we're a bunch of people who come together as sinners, and we mess up the church. And we uh, desperately need Jesus again and again and again. And this week, we're seeing how uh, the church can be filled with those who are the same kind of pharisaical people that Jesus desperately tried to convince to repent and to be saved, that we can be as, as self-righteous and as proud. And so today we're looking at the, the temptation in the church to turn the church into this kind of performance that puts our righteousness on display instead of the church being this place where we really get right with God, fall down on our knees, look at the cross, and cry out that we need Jesus. We can turn the church into this performance where we make it about our righteousness before other people and how they view us. Now we're going to see how that worked out in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. We're going to see what God thinks of that kind of fake it till you make it mentality in the church. And my hope is that we might once again come back to Jesus, that the cross might look more beautiful than, uh, than the opinions and the the performance that we give to other people. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll look at God's Word. Father, we thank you for the church, and we thank you that the church is a church that is not ideal because we would never be welcome in it if it were. That, Father, we are sinners, and, Father, we struggle with these same things. And I ask that we would not be too proud or too self-righteous to come into the church broken and needing desperately 
for more of your grace and asking that you would fill us once again. Father, would you, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you help us to see Jesus and see the cross and love him? And Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live with true obedience and to throw off uh, the chains of performance and of self-righteousness that still bind us? We pray this, not that we might be perfect Christians, but that Jesus might get more glory, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so this passage starts uh, with kind of that idealized picture once again, uh, which is great. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of what the church should be and what it ought to be, and it reflects some of the uh, concepts that we've been talking about so far in Acts. Jumping in at Acts 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought the, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right. So this is the starting point, this beautiful picture of the church. And we saw these are, these are Holy Spirit-filled people who have been pointed to Jesus and his resurrection and found eternal life in him. And we see people expressing their love for Christ and their joy for the gospel and their desire to glorify God in these, like, these amazing displays of obedience and, and holiness and sacrifice. That they really do feel that like if, if Christ has given me everything, then yes, he can, I'll give to his church. His church can have everything I'm not myself, I, I'm part of this church and this body. Nothing is my own, it is ours in Christ. And one such person uh, is singled out here, Joseph, who has taken on this, this nickname for his great encouragement. He's the son of encouragement, Barnabas. And he did just that. Out of his, his joy in his heart, he sold his land, put it at the apostles' feet for the sake of the poor and the needy, in the church. And that's where we want to see first that the, the standard that is held up before us throughout the scriptures is that there's this beautiful, Holy Spirit-empowered, joyful obedience. It's not this drudgery or this duty. It's done because they, they love Jesus and they long to see him glorified. Now that's the standard that's put up. And that's a glorious and beautiful thing. Now, a couple in the church is watching that, that glorious display and what happens in their hearts. They say, you know what? I think I could fake that. I think I could manufacture. I think I could counterfeit that same apparent righteousness and glory at half the price at quite a discount, and you know what? It, it would be just as glorious, just as glorious for me. And so uh, 
this, this doesn't just hit the heart and, or the mind. No, they, they discuss this. They have a whole plan. And Ananias and Sapphira go about uh, bringing glory to themselves in the church. Verse 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, they also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. All right. So here are Ananias and Sapphira. They're going to be the new power couple in the church. All right, they want a nickname. They want like, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, the, the faithful ones, or the beautiful couple, or uh, the good people. All right, that's what, they, that's what they're fighting for, that they might be perceived in the church. And what do they do? All right, just so we're all on the same page here. Uh, they sell a piece of property and they take part of it. And they put it in their back pocket, and they keep that for themselves. All right. The other part, they lay before the apostles' feet for the poor. Now, that in and of itself is not evil, is not terrible. What's, the, what's the, the terrible thing here is that they said that what they were laying before the apostles' feet, that was the whole thing. That was the whole sum. Reflecting, you know, we're, 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 giving, we're giving everything to Jesus who gave everything to us. Look at the sacrifice. Look at the, the suffering that we endure. Look at the joy that we have found in Jesus that it would, it would cause us to such obedience. But they've held something back. Their heart isn't in it. And so ultimately, what are they doing? They're, they're counterfeiting the power of the Holy Spirit mingling with sin so that they might get just as much glory. It's a pretend righteousness, a pretend holiness, a virtual righteousness in the eyes of people alone. All right. Now, as much as I would like to just uh, rail on Ananias and Sapphira for being terrible, uh, <laughs> we're told that there's no temptation that is not common to man, uh, that the hearts of every one of us is just as sinful as Ananias and Sapphira's. And we can be just as manipulative. And that's where we ask ourselves, okay, what are we supposed to do with this? Right. When we see, when we see displays of great holiness and righteousness and obedience among God's people, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Do you feel this kind of like sense of, of guilt and shame? Do you feel the weight of it? And how do you lift it? Maybe you see someone, you're like, you, you know, they are clearly more righteous. Uh, how do I get there? What do I do? And the sad temptation is that too often we say, you know what, I can, I can probably manufacture that. I can probably pretend to be as righteous as they are, and I can probably put on just as much of the display and get just as much glory and feel good about myself in the church. That is the great temptation. That's where Ananias and Sapphira go, and we're going to see, okay, what, does, what happens? What happens when they make that decision? When they decide, you know, I can't, maybe I can't earn the, the real righteousness that um, is being held up in Christ, but, you know, I'll tolerate that other people will believe I'm there. And Ananias, he goes to Peter, 
Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have lied not just to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. All right. So God strikes him down dead in an instant. All right, what do we do with that? All right, it's troubling. It's troubling because it, for some of us, it doesn't fit with our view of, of who God is supposed to be and how he's supposed to treat his people, how this is all supposed to go down. Or right, I'll remind you first that uh, the wages of sin is death. And so that, that we shouldn't be shocked that sin might be met with, with judgment and death. That is the reality. All right, but why is this one sin held out as the as this horrible one, and why is an example made of Ananias and Sapphira? All right. First, all right, think of what this means for the community if God lets this happen. All right, these, these people now, Ananias and Sapphira, are held up on a pedestal, and they are told, they're, they're depicted as those who are filled with the Spirit. And look at their righteousness. And hey, look, and they're blessed so much. Like They don't know about the, the money in the back pocket. That, you know, God just pours out blessings upon them, and, and they have such sacrifice, and yet their hearts are far from Him. And the hypocrisy there. Now, the, the, the same Jesus that desperately fought the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and who demanded that, that hearts not just be whitewashed tombs, this could not stand in, in Jesus' church. And think of the harm that they are doing to themselves. That they are replacing true righteousness found in Christ, or true holiness that is found in, in love for Christ, and they're replacing it with people-pleasing, and performing in the eyes of people, and putting on a show. But ultimately, what does it mean with their relationship with God? All right, they have fallen into this belief that, you know, that the all-omniscient creator of their souls is going to be fooled. And that the Holy Spirit that's supposed to be sanctifying them and changing their hearts, that, you know, he's not going to notice. And that Jesus, who is building a kingdom for his glory that is built upon grace and truth, that he might not notice when glory is being manipulated and sucked out of his church. And that's where we might we'd be shocked. We'd say, you know what? This is spiritual death already. And God matches spiritual death with, with true death. That the whole church might see and know that this is the reality of what has happened. This is not what the church is supposed to be for. The church is not for performance and for putting our righteousness on display 
while keeping our, our real heart's intentions in our back pocket. That the church, what is the church for? The church is for getting right with God and bringing our sins before the cross, being filled with the Spirit and loving Jesus and obeying for that one and only reason that we want to love Him and obey Him. And that's why I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Uh, why, did, why, why was this such a judgment against Peter? Was it because he, uh, he didn't obey the law that was given? That, you know, if, if, you, if you sell a piece of property, you know, you have to give the whole thing or else you're, you're not really obeying the command. No. What does Peter say? Peter says, you know what, uh, actually, it was yours to begin with. No one asked you to sell it. And even more so, if you sold it and gave it only half, then you could have done that. The money was your own. The heart of the problem was that, no, you wanted to be self-righteous and you wanted righteousness in the eyes of men, not true righteousness in the eyes of God. And that is the greatest danger to our souls and to the, the nature of the church. And we talk about it now because that is a temptation that we all, we all want the church to be. We want to be seen in our, in our righteousness. We want to be seen as these great Christians. We want others to see us that way. And maybe we even want to portray that to the, the world. But no, ultimately, we stand before Jesus Christ, who knows all things, who knows our hearts, and who has better things for us than being enslaved to the law once again and putting on a show. That we might have true freedom because we have found righteousness in Christ and not in the eyes of people. Now, we know that these things were not just written for Ananias and Sapphira so that we could throw stones at them. Uh, these things were written for us. So what does this look like in the church? What does this look like in, in your daily lives? All right. Do you try to outperform your joy? That your joy is here, and yet you try to, try to work out an obedience that is 10 steps beyond it. And you look at other people for the standard of how you should be acting as a Christian, not looking at your heart and saying, wait, what, what do I want to do? What do I want to... How do I want to obey, or how do I have to, so that I look like a good enough Christian to this community? Or maybe it looks like uh, not sharing your struggles or your sins, not sharing your doubts, not sharing your uncertainties, not sharing, sharing the, the harder emotions when you're, you're not all happy-slappy about Jesus and ready to worship. Or maybe it's just when you're confused and you're willing to admit, you know, I actually don't know about this. Can you please help me? I don't know how to share the gospel, and I need to come and admit that I don't know the gospel, so I come and, and learn. I think too often we're too ashamed to really need help or encouragement from the church. That if we haven't arrived, we shouldn't tell anyone, because then they might know. No, none of us have arrived, and we all know it. All right? No one's fooling anyone. Uh, and most of the time, the, shows, the, the performances don't work.
what are we supposed to get about the church? What is the church? The church is not a place to make a show of your righteousness. The church is a place to be right with God, knowing that you have no righteousness of your own, and that the righteousness that we are pursuing is so high above anything we could ever perform to that we come here to look at the cross and gaze at Jesus in his beauty and in his righteousness and plead with him, change our hearts, change our nature, change who we are. That's what the church is. Now, there's some lies that that kind of keep us here, keep us stuck and say, and it, it maybe even reinforce this kind of performance attitude all right, one of them first. Uh, that you don't need to get there. You don't need to have this heart that's full of joy and expressing obedience because you love Jesus. Maybe you can just kind of skate by and drudge through, and that's okay. All right, that's not the picture that's given of, of the Christian life. That's not the joyful walking in the Spirit that, that is held out to us as this great joy. And that's why, why we're called here, and we, we have this kind of mission to enjoy Jesus truly. Is it, No, that is the standard. All right, the second uh, lie that we tell ourselves is that, you know what, well, everyone else is performing, so why can't I? You know what, maybe we are all performing. But that doesn't get anyone off the hook. That just means, okay, this whole community needs to change. Our collective heart needs to change. Or maybe, maybe you've kind of been fed the lie that, you know what, fake it till you make it. And that fake it till you make it is a great path to sanctification. All right, you know who never said fake it till you make it? (laughs) Jesus, yes. He never did. All right, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you know, you'll know you'll know the tree by its fruit. All right, a weed never faked it till it made an apple. All right, it never did that. And that's what Jesus says. He says, you know, you are a weed, and until you are reborn and resurrected and everything inside of you has changed, then you'll make an apple because you'll be an apple tree. Not fake it until, you, until an apple falls off. All right, that, that needs to die, that mentality. Now, I get where it's coming from because it's wrestling and it's fighting your heart. I get your heart is deceitful and wicked and evil because mine is too. Uh, but there's a vast difference between fighting to love Jesus and pretending to love Jesus. Those are two very different things, and we do not settle for pretending. Now, what do we do? What do we do? Because none of us are there. None of us are perfected. None of us are doing all things for the glory of God and joy because we love Jesus alone. And I'd say first, we, we do what was offered to Ananias and Sapphira. Well, Sapphira specifically, we confess. We confess and we repent of all of the faking it. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? All right, why does he ask that question? He's pleading with her. You know, like, please, just admit it. Confess that you're, you're pretending and that you're performing. And 
And the grace of Jesus is more than capable of, of cleansing you. Just receive it. Now she says, yes, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. All right. If you find yourself in the same position as Ananias and Sapphira, do not willfully and stubbornly stay there. That the grace of Jesus is abundant and, and beautiful and will wash you clean. And you are not trapped. All right, we can, we can take off the mask and we can say, you know what, I'm not as righteous as I want to be. Because I am not. And none of us are. And that's the beauty of the church, that we get to be that in this church. That we don't have to perform and we can come back to the cross. All right, so that first step, uh, confess it. Confess it and profess it. Yes, I have a tendency to fake it. And no, I don't have the righteousness of Barnabas. I don't get to be called son of encourager, and that's okay. Because... We get to be children of Jesus, adopted into his family. We get to be called holy and righteous vicariously through Jesus. And so don't trade, don't trade the perfection of Jesus with the imperfect, imperfect opinions of people and a performance. Go back to the cross. Let's go back to the cross and look at the work of Jesus and take those hearts that are, are broken and are hardened and wash them in the blood of Jesus, nail them to the cross, all of those yucky metaphors uh, that are supposed to wake us up and say, you know, how desperately we need Jesus. How much we need his atonement. And when you see those people who have real holiness and real righteousness, you don't need to tear them down. You don't need to feel guilty you don't need to rise to their, their keeping of the law. You need to go back to Jesus. You need to go back to Jesus and see him once again. The time is not to start showing off how much you love Jesus. The time is to foster your love for Jesus and enjoy him. And enjoy the fact that you don't have to sell your property you don't have to be called the son of an encourager. You don't have to be any of those things. You can be perfect in Christ and remain there. You can be righteous in Christ and stay there. And when you stay there long enough, these things will flow out of you. That's how it works. If you cut off that whole system and fake it instead, you'll never see the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, just an example. If you go see someone and you see someone who's, who's professing Christ and they're incredibly generous, the tendency is usually to create a generosity plan. 
And then you're going to go, you know, I, I, can, I can probably try to be generous in, uh, in five easy steps, and I can probably find someone who needs something and give them something. And in your back pocket, your heart isn't going to be right. And you're holding back what's really important, your love for God, and your, your desire to actually be generous. Please don't do that. If the law of people's obedience convicts you, look at your heart. Admit it. Let your, let your sin be washed clean by Jesus and then love him. Amen? Now, one last point. One last point. If this really is the standard, then any real obedience is an incredibly rare and beautiful thing. An incredibly rare and beautiful thing. And it is infinitely valuable. Now, counterfeit obedience is incredibly worthless. And it doesn't matter if you have a hundred counterfeit hundred dollar bills, it's more worthless than one. And not only is it, more, is it worth less, it'll also send you to prison. So, that's the reality, same with the righteousness that we try to earn with before God, okay? You just need, you need real holiness as evidence of a real Savior working in your heart by the, His real Spirit. I would rather see us fight for one act of real desire to glorify God and real obedience before God our Father that He would say, oh, yes, I am pleased with that, than a hundred counterfeit righteousness, righteous acts in the sight of people that you did because you felt like you had to. That's what the church is. It's a place where we fight for that one because that one glorifies our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Questions? No? Once? Twice? Let's pray. Father, as we look at the standard for your righteousness, uh, we are undone, and we look once again to Jesus. Father, would you make us a people who do not need to perform because we have already seen the perfect fulfillment of righteousness in Christ? And it was applied to us without us working or doing anything. Father, would we live there? Would we dwell there and abide there in the grace that is found in the blood of Jesus? And Father, would we rejoice even when we see others obey you and, and display true holiness? And Father, would we trade a hundred counterfeit deeds for one or two real righteous things that are done because we just love you and because we want to glorify you, not because we need to attain any righteousness, but because we've already found it. Father, would you give us the wisdom to know the difference? And Father, would you empower us by the Holy Spirit to turn these weeds into fruit trees that our fruit would be natural and beautiful and glorifying to you? We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.